Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, I would love it if you opened up to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We are going to be starting in verse 12. And now, by the way, real quick, we're going to start adding a whole lot of cool stuff onto the Very Lutheran Project SoundCloud. We are going to have Bible studies even more than Romans, yes, we're going to start in Hebrews, and we are also going to start putting up weekly sermons there for house churches to have a sermon at the ready. So if you have a house church, or if you can't get to church because of various lockdowns and other issues, and maybe you just don't like the churches that are there in your town, maybe they are not giving solid food for the Word of God, for your edification, well, I am here to serve you, to give these resources, and at verylutheran.biz, I will be posting these Bible studies on PDF format as well as the sermon manuscripts. With all of that said, let's go ahead and start here in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, I hope we can maybe get past this passage, not because I don't like it, but because we are going at a arthritic snail's pace, like a snail that is in the nursing home because it's at the end of its life. That's the pace we're going at here in the book of Romans. <laughs> this is installment number 19 and we're still on chapter 8. My goodness, but everything must be done verse by verse, so we will be doing this. So then, brothers, in verse 12, what does he mean by so then? Well, given everything he's been saying, remember St. Paul is building an edifice of theology here in Romans. It is the closest thing we're ever going to get to a systematic theology textbook in Holy Scripture. But unlike dogmatic textbooks or your standard systematic theology textbooks like Christian Dogmatics by John Theodore Mueller or uh, Pieper's Christian Dogmatics or even the Baptist systematic theology textbooks out there, uh, like Hortons or what have you, St. Paul is not going from topic to topic explaining what the Bible says about each thing. He's building a case for Christianity as a whole, building an entire edifice, so to speak, like his book itself is a church. He's taking one concept, putting another on there, putting another on there. So verse 12 starts with, So then, brothers... He's building on everything he said previously. And we are tempted to look at the other verses as contradicting everything he said in previous chapters. He says we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. St. Paul has said over and over and over again in the first like five chapters of Romans that we are not saved by our works. The law cannot save us. We cannot earn this because we are wretched, poor, miserable, dirty, stinky, rotten sinners. And it is Christ's sacrifice on the cross by which that debt is paid. We are saved by faith. He brings up Abraham in chapter 4 as the example of salvation by faith alone. And we also see that in chapter 3, verse 28. We look at all of these things and we're going, well, why is he calling us debtors in verse 12? And why is he saying that if I live according to the flesh, I'm going to die? Hmm. Living according to the flesh... Well, that sounds like I'm, I'm supposed to save myself by not doing bad stuff. And it says, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Oh, so now I got to be a monk. I got to do some monkish type stuff and whip myself and starve myself and do fasting constantly. I got to go into an Eastern Orthodox monastery and refuse to eat cheese for half of the year. Is that what St. Paul is getting at? No, not at all. We covered the so then last week when he says in verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This isn't about my works. This is not about my refusal to do bad works, bad things. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are getting raised on the last day to eternal life, to eternal paradise in the new heavens and new earth. Full stop. And if you ever ask if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, all you really have to do is look at Mark 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, and go, hmm, was I baptized? Yes. Oh yeah, St. Peter also promises in Acts chapter 2, that when you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again on the third day? Yes. Okay, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You do not have to worry about whether or not you are living according to the flesh in the sense that you are somehow going to die and go to hell because you believed in Jesus and you're baptized, but like you were just too naughty for God. He just looks at you and goes, whoa, pal, I know what I said, but you're going to hell. I saw you steal that candy bar. <laughs> we look at these verses and we have to keep in mind what St. Paul had just said. So how are we debtors? In the sense of standard debt where you take something and you owe something back, that's not us. Are we debtors in the sense of somebody gave something to you, so you must repay them? No, it's not quite like that. I believe it would be better to put this in context of the first century, when oftentimes a debtor who had a gift given them was going to belong to the person that gave something to them. Namely here, when we think about Jesus Christ. In chapter 5 in Romans, Jesus 
saves us and redeems the entire world through his sacrifice. Which we talk about how the free gift in Romans 5 is not like the trespass. That's what St. Paul says. What Jesus did on the cross is infinitely more efficacious than what Adam did in Eden. And if his sacrifice was of infinite worth, then there is no paying that back. As a debtor, it's not about you owing God. That you have to owe him good works to pay off what his son did for you. No, instead, you owe God your life. It does not pay it back. It just means that you belong to him now, not to the flesh. St. Paul here in verse 12 is making a distinction. Jesus died for you. You belong to him. No longer are you going to belong to the flesh, to your old Adam, which previously was just your Adam. (laughs) It was your current Adam. It was the thing that ruled over you, your sinful nature. St. Paul is saying that you are not obliged to follow that. And in verse 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you're living according to the flesh, in impenitent sin, in unfaithfulness, not actually believing in God, not fulfilling that very basic requirement to believe and be baptized, if you are unregenerate, you are following after your sinful flesh. That is what you, well, you have to do it. You don't have the free will to say, nah, no thanks, I'm not going to be about the flesh anymore. So you're going to die. That's it. The unsaved person lives according to the flesh. And the person who is a Christian that abandons their Christian faith in order to live according to the flesh, if they go back, well, they're going to die. There's a little bit of a warning here. Think of it a little bit like in the book of Numbers or in Exodus, how people would complain about how much better they had it as slaves to the Egyptians. That's something St. Paul is kind of warning against here. But then he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's where we ask, what does this mean? Is St. Paul binding me and commanding me to go do monkish stuff? Am I more spiritual if I starve myself half the time? Am I more spiritual if I pray the canonical hours every single day all my life? Do I have to pray the rosary all the time? Of course not. Although it is good to get yourself a nice Lutheran rosary, I do always highly recommend the wreath of Christ. I still use it every day. And is it good to discipline our bodies every now and then to cooperate with the process of sanctification? Absolutely. But how do you put to death the deeds of the body? How are we spiritual? How are we more spiritual in this? Is it really all deeds of the body? Are you supposed to stop pooping or eating or drinking? Are you supposed to stop sleeping because that's a bodily function? Oh, well, no, that's, we're talking about sins here. We're talking about the old Adam. Okay, well, then I can't do that. Not by myself. St. Paul has said in the letters to Timothy that repentance is a gift of God. He is clearly stated in the book of Romans that salvation is a one-way thing. You and I cannot, by our own power, stop sinning. We cannot, by our own power, quit doing bad stuff. It's by the Spirit. 
He says, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does that look like? Well, it's not by me. It's not by my will nor my power. It is by the Holy Spirit who enables me to do what must be done. Is that me earning salvation? No. Let's look real quick. Keep our fingers in the book of Romans and let's go to 1 John chapter 1. My apologies, I am having a nice black and mild. So, 1 John chapter 1. Let's read real quick from verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By confession, you are cleansed from your sins. And what is sin if it is not a deed of the body? Let's, let's reread verse 13 here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit, by him, we go to confession. We confess our sins and we are, because of God's faithfulness, cleansed from that unrighteousness. The very act of confession and the reception of absolution puts to death the deeds of the body. Again, St. Paul is not telling us to be ascetics that hate our bodies. Not that asceticism is necessarily wrong. St. Paul does talk about disciplining his body in a letter to the Corinthians. But with Colossians, he condemns asceticism as a necessary practice, or those who would see it as necessary. The deeds of the body is sin. It's the flesh. It's what the flesh wants to do. So the Holy Spirit enables us to receive the good that God gives us in confession and absolution in the Eucharist, because our Lord Jesus Christ does say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Huh, that gets rid of my sin. So in confession, my sin is gotten rid of. In the Eucharist, my sin is gotten rid of. Daily, God's mercies are new. God's mercies are new every morning. This is not putting to death the deeds of the body by the body, by disciplining the body. This is allowing the Holy Spirit to help us by bringing us the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our unrighteousness by the forgiveness that God offers. And he gives us more of this in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let him bring you to church, to confession and absolution, to the Eucharist, to the remembrance of your baptism, to the reclamation of forgiveness and mercy, which God says he does every morning. In all of the places in the Bible where it says God gets rid of our sins, cleanses us from unrighteousness, clears our conscience, and helps us, that's where the Spirit is going to lead you, by his word. Not me earning this by purposefully putting to death all the bad stuff, making sure I'm a very good boy. Now, that said, again, and 
I know I'm gonna have to say this all the time because people often mistake sola fide for antinomianism. Yes, we do want to be good boys and girls. Yes, we do want to obey the Ten Commandments because that is part of our sanctification, not our salvation. Good works are a necessary fruit of faith, not a requirement of salvation. But when he talks about this, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, who is it that is doing the leading? The Holy Spirit. Who is it, then, that is putting to death the deeds of the body? Well, maybe me, but I don't deserve any credit because the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work and leading me to the places where that happens. Am I making this clear? I know I've spent 17 minutes trying to talk about what this passage really says, and it's just a few verses. But it is so stinking important because if we don't read this correctly... If we don't cross-reference this with all of Holy Scripture, if we don't look at what the Word is actually teaching us and reading everything in context, somebody's going to hear, put to death the deeds of the body. They're going to ignore the whole by the Spirit thing, or they'll rationalize it as, oh yeah, um, the Holy Spirit tells me to do it, so it's under his name, by his banner, that I am going to be a very good boy, I am going to avoid doing everything, and I'm going to punish myself. Because I'm a debtor who needs to pay off the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. There are people that have thought that way. Martin Luther, as an Augustinian friar, would just sit there beating the hell out of himself. This is a guy who would just stand there whipping himself. He would spend hours in the confessional booth. He would do so much work that it would make it feel like his eyes were bleeding. I have been there myself, maybe not to the extreme that good old Doc Martin was, but we have felt this before. Look at what Jesus did. Look at how unworthy I am. Now I got to pay this off. I got to do all sorts of good works so that I earned my salvation. When if I look at these two verses as excusing that, I'm ignoring the rest of Romans. I'm ignoring the rest of the Bible. And I'm letting myself get shackled back to the law in a way that would make St. Paul tear out his stinking eyes. Because he wrote the whole book of Galatians thing that tells us the law was our captor. It was our guardian. And we are no longer under it because for freedom Christ has set you free. This is the sort of thing where just one verse, if read incorrectly, can lead people astray and back into slavery. But in verse 15, St. Paul rebuffs that very notion when he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And what does he talk about when it comes to slavery? Well, slavery to the flesh slavery to our old sinful nature, where we can not refuse what the flesh is telling us to do. That leads us to fear, because the law, which is written in our heart, per Romans chapter 2, that condemns us all the time. I've been hearing recent reports of people of the Zoomer generation having uh, neurotic responses to their sexual sins. They need things like, quote-unquote, aftercare, or screaming at guys that have pinups somewhere. 
because they're feeling guilt and they can't process that as guilt. We're going back to the era where everybody is just feeling so guilty all the time and they can't address it as guilt because society's telling them, no, don't go to church. So they're, they're getting these weird complexes and attempts at therapy to try to convince themselves that what they're doing is okay. That's fear. That's guilt. That's the law telling you, you're going to go to hell, buddy. You need a savior. You cannot keep doing this and expect a good outcome. Slavery to our sin. Slavery under the yoke of the law. It will bring you into absolute fear and despair. And St. Paul says, that's not you, O believer. That's not you anymore. You didn't receive a spirit to go back into slavery. Uh, monks notwithstanding, people whipping themselves notwithstanding. No, he's saying you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now again, by whom, by the spirit, we have become God's kids, his people. The people who can say, you are my heavenly father. Uh, now, Abba, of course, being a, uh, an old Hebrew term for like daddy. The idea being here that God adopted you when you were saved. You were a part of his family. You can cry out to him and know that he hears you because he loves you as your father as your heavenly father who provides for you. Now, it's interesting that he says adoption, because yes, there was a point in which we were so lost in our sins that we were basically orphans. We had nobody caring for us. We had a cruel slave driver. We were Lampwick and his buddies turned into donkeys, made an ass of ourselves, and now we're going off to work in the salt mines until we die. In Pinocchio, in the original book, Lampwick, uh, he gets worked to death. Pinocchio finds him and he just collapses and dies. That was you. That was me. We were absolutely destroyed in all of this. So God took us and he adopted us. He took us out of that. And instead of being brute animals, unable to do anything other than follow their fleshly inclinations like a donkey, he's adopted you and by your baptism with what the Holy Spirit has done for you ever since your baptism, he's made you human again. He's made you his. He's adopted you and brought you into a family where you know that he cares for you. So in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So in verse 16, the spirit proclaims, he bears witness as the seal of your salvation with your spirit, your spiritual parts agreeing, being with the spirit, Yes, you belong to God now, and you are an heir with Christ of eternal life, of the kingdom, of something so much better that St. Paul can hardly even bear to describe it. It's too cool. It's too good. But then there's that provided, and then we get a little worried again. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Now that word, suffer with. We suffer with him. That's one word in the Greek, sympaskomen. That is suffering with, sympathizing with, going through it with somebody. How does that work? Is it a requirement that you suffer with Jesus Christ if you want to be saved? Are we going back and seeing St. Paul contradict himself, go, yeah, 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 so Jesus Christ, he died for you, the Holy Spirit came upon you at your baptism, and uh, by the way, uh, yes, the Spirit leads you, and he is the chief one who is leading you in sanctification, leading you to put to death the deeds of the flesh, everything's great, but now uh, I'm going to contradict that and say you have to suffer if you're going to go to heaven. No, St. Paul is not schizophrenic. He knows what he's saying here, and he's not going to contradict himself. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided. That Greek word, eper, where we get provided, is extremely broad. I actually like, let me click on the interlinear here, I like that it can be translated with the NASB as after all, if indeed, or since indeed. It's a conditional particle, which means if you are a Christian, then it is the case that you suffer with Christ. Not saying that it is a requirement for you to suffer with Christ in order to inherit glory. Fact of the matter is, as a Christian, you will suffer persecution in this life. You are going to live a life which, while it sympathizes with, sympaskomen, suffers alongside our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're united to him. And what he went through, you're going to go through something similar in life. You're going to have your good times, you're going to have your bad times, but ultimately, this world is bad as it stands. There's a reason God is going to purify it and remake it at the eschaton. We live under persecution and tribulation because Jesus lived under persecution and tribulation. We suffer with him meaning suffering in the same kind as he did, in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the theology of the cross. We see that our Savior received a crown of thorns. Why should we expect a crown of roses, as Luther says? And if Jesus went through first suffering, then glory, then those who are united to him in their baptism and in their salvation, they too shall go through the same thing, first suffering then glory. First, a hard life in which the church is persecuted and attacked and hated and infiltrated and subverted and then sometimes cleansed, but only for more trouble to show up. At the end of the day, it's that first. Then glory. Then heaven. Then the new heavens and the new earth. In a lifespan as a human being that will go through these cycles of downs and then ups to show us that we are now sympathizing with Christ. Sumpaskomen, we suffer with him to experience what he did, to get closer to him. God does this to perfect us and that we may have a real eternal life, a real glorious resurrection. Now he's not saying provided in the sense that that is necessary for your salvation, that you have to go out and seek out suffering. Or, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. His sacrifice, yeah, that got you in the door. But the rest of your salvation has to be done through pain. 
that's really not what St. Paul is getting at. Again, I know I've been repeating myself ad nauseum throughout this little recording here. St. Paul is saying that since you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, you are going to suffer. To put it really simply, God's children have to wander through the wilderness before they get to the promised land. It's really that simple. He's sobering us a little. Because we can say, I am adopted by God the Father, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit brings me to that adoption. I can call him Daddy. I can call him Abba. I can say my God loves me. And I can even call myself an heir. And I can say, yes, I am inheriting the kingdom of God. Everything is so stinking awesome. And I honestly think St. Paul is making sure we don't get our heads puffed up. There is a lot here that he's going to be going back and forth regarding the future glory in the next recording. I know, we couldn't make it past, what, five verses today. <laughs> but that's great, because it shows us just how rich the Word of God is. But St. Paul is going to be getting more into the theology of the cross in the next couple of paragraphs that we will look at. But for now, let's do just a little bit of summarizing here. We are debtors, meaning we belong to to Christ. Now, we belong to God, so we do not belong to the flesh. We're not obligated to follow it. So, we know that if we were still of the flesh, unsaved, we were going to die. But the Spirit, He leads us. If you are indeed a Christian, the Spirit is going to be leading you to church, to the sacraments, to forgiveness and confession, where the Bible says the deeds of the flesh are put to death. And we are led by him because we are sons of God. God has taken us out of that slavery to the flesh and slavery to the law and said, you're mine now. And not only are you a son, you are an heir. You're getting something really, really, really good in the middle of this. Let us look forward to it. But soberly understanding that for this life, we're in the wilderness and he's leading us through it. And it is so worth it. And he's going to get into why it's worth it and the good news about all of that in the next recording. Amen and amen.